Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle, and you know us. We're that HR dashboard company helping all of you HR and people leaders out there get rid of that tedious, time-consuming, and manual process you call HR reporting. That's right. We know that when it comes time for you to try to pull together one unified view of all your HR data from multiple systems, you have to log into your different systems, ATS, HRIS, payroll, engagement, performance, et cetera, pull all these spreadsheets together, try to make sense of it, and you're always scratching your head thinking there must be a better way. If you're asking that question, then you are correct. There is a better way. Check out Employee Cycle, where your HR dashboard with pre-built integration connectors to the most popular HR systems out there. Are you using systems like Bamboo HR, Namely, ADP, Zenefits, Trinet, Lever, Greenhouse, 15.5, Lattice, you name it. You simply connect your different HR systems. We automatically pull in all your data so you can view, share, track, and analyze it all from one place. Check out EmployeeCycle.com to get your very own demo so we can explore how we can automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company because today we have a great guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Bernard Brothman. He's the VP of HR at Neato Inc. And today we're going to discuss how to succeed throughout your HR career. Bernard, welcome to the podcast. Bernard, welcome! (laughs) Thanks for having me, Bruce. Awesome. And so, Bernard, we want to kick this thing off the best way we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? I ended up in the wonderful world of HR by chance taking a junior level course when I was in college on industrial relations. Um, This was at the State University of New York at Buffalo. Uh, Both my parents were actually in unions, so I thought it was pretty interesting. I got an A in the course. I said, maybe there's an affinity here. And from that, I took a couple more courses in HR and coming out of college was hired into a role as a personnel administrator for a now defunct clothing company up in Buffalo, New York. Awesome. Thank you for that background. So today is a very special guest because you're the first person that I've ever interviewed who is actually about to retire. That is correct. I retire this coming Monday. June 7th. That is awesome. So to catch you at that point in time, right before, I can say that I'm probably the only podcast you'll be on. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody somebody will call me Monday. You never know. (laughs) That is true. That is true. And so because you're in this very interesting, interesting stage in your career, I thought it would be super interesting to talk about what it looks like to go through your HR career, the different step functions, what did you learn? And we're all going to, we're going to talk about that under the topic, how to succeed throughout your HR career. And so I would love to start this off with hearing you talk about what was it like when you first started in HR and how did you think that it was going? Did you even think that this was something you were going to stick with and continue to do throughout your entire career? Yeah, I I seem to have an affinity for it. 
and I anticipated having a full career in HR. Back then, we even called it. We actually were just starting to make the transition from personnel to human resources. Uh, many of the people are listening to this organization might be a member of SHRM, Society for Human Resources Management. Uh, when I joined, it was called ASPA, American Society for Personnel Administration. My first job was in a unionized clothing manufacturing company. And yes, we actually used to make men's tailored clothing here in the United States. I was recruited off campus and had an opportunity now to take a look at, okay, well, what's that interface between an organization and the people who make the make and sell the products that that organization has? And it got to the point of like, you have to look at them as their partners, they're part of the business. So since this was a unionized organization, there was some natural conflict. That was the mindset of the time. We were able to bring in something called the Labor Management Council where said, look, guys, uh, we're not the worst enemies that we have. You know, there are other enemies out there, such as our competition and imports. So let's begin to think about like what, what might be that larger picture. And that started to get me down the road of, well, how do you get involved in more participatory, like people management? You know, they're not your enemy. You know, they're people that help make your company go. So I did that for a while. And then I went into the hospitality industry. So it was a restaurant company. And one of the things the restaurant company taught me was that, yes, you know, people are key to success. And they did the best job in terms of people development on a very low budget. So you take a look at, like, what's important in an organization in terms of where they spend their time. And this organization would do a quarterly in effect, like success, quarterly succession planning. Okay. In all your restaurants, who are your top restaurant managers? Because they would be candidates for district manager. You have to give a set of names. Okay. What have you done to develop them in the past quarter? So what assignments did you delegate to them? Did they go to another unit to cover it? And you had to have an explanation. And do you still see them as promotable? Then, okay. Who are your top assistant managers? What have you done to develop them? And it's like, all right, you know, what's important in this organization is people development. Even though it had a turnover rate of something like, you know, 30 to 35 percent, it's like you always had to have good talent coming into the organization and developing that talent because they operated quite independently. From there, I moved into a very large consumer products business. Uh, and it was neat in terms of high capital very high capital intensive, a lot of automation, and was going through a stage moving from jobs that were narrow to jobs that were starting to be semi-autonomous. And I was starting to get involved with, okay, how do you get people more involved in the business? There's a concept called high-performance work teams. Uh, how do you get away from having like a director and the director had managers and the manager had supervisors and, and then you had you know crews underneath so that was like a very traditional, you know, military organization that, you know, came out of World War II. And we, we took a look at the idea of what we called group working or team working, where you're starting to empower people to make decisions in their area. And I really love that. You know, I'm, I'm sort of passionate about watching, you know, having others succeed. So if the people who you're supporting succeed, then you succeed. And if you make it all about you, uh, then when there's a time to decide, well, who's really making things happen? Uh, they're going to remember for what you did. So they might not remember. You know, people won't remember what you said. 
but they'll remember how you made them feel. And then they fill in the audio portion of that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, in regards to skills, some people would say that regardless of the title, whether it's employee relations or HR or people operations, HR is HR. But I'm curious, throughout your career, what skills do you believe were the most important when you first started? Which skills do you think became less important, if any? And what were new skills that you've seen throughout your career that you had to continue to pick up on and became more important in the role? So, you know, initially, I think of skills as, let's say, reporting, knowledge of contract negotiations, uh, being fastidious in terms of, okay, what, what was past practice, so a lot of attention to detail in there. And then you start to pick up a skill called listening. It's that time to let other people speak first, hear what they have to say, um, ask, demonstrate something called active listening. So somebody makes a statement, I think this is a really beautiful flower. Well, what makes it beautiful? Tell me about it. Ask people why they feel or why they think a particular way. Later on, I start getting into good quantitative skills, such as when you're doing you know, an analysis, you know, are you able to put a, like a wage and wage and benefit survey together? Uh, it's good to know, like back then they didn't have Excel. They used to have something called Lotus one, two, three. I think Excel is easier than Lotus one, two, three. So picking up that, cause sometimes you actually have to do your own data analysis, have a sense of creativity, inquisitiveness, uh, have the courage to try something new because a lot of success is a result of, you know, failures along the way and be able to learn from your mistakes. So then we get into skills such as, um, you know, when you get into like a targeted selection, follow-up questions, and and learning agility. So when you make a mistake, what did you learn from it? If something worked well, what did you learn from that? And finally, as I get closer to the, you know, end of my career, it's learning another language. You know, we've got, in the United States, we've got a lot of people who's, primary languages in English, you know, learn some other language, you know, first learn one and, you know, then learn another, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because actually it, it, it keeps your mind young. Uh, when I was in high school, we'd say, well, why do we have to learn at the time was French is why do we have to learn French? We're not going to use it. And back then we didn't use it. Now I found that uh, I had a job in the early two thousands where I had a plant in Puerto Rico. Well, it was good to go learn some Spanish. And you can learn it just by, a lot of it's just listening to a tape or a disc in a car and then practicing it when you get to your location and try to learn a couple new words each time. Very helpful. And also it helps build rapport when you want to talk to somebody where you don't need a translator. Interesting. And I think about where a lot of HR leaders are today, especially as they try to help their workforce navigate through the pandemic, and all the things that have been caused by the pandemic, as well as all the things that have happened on top of the pandemic, a lot of HR leaders have been stressed out. And to a certain degree, there's been a percentage of HR leaders that have just left the industry because it was just way too much. And COVID really just took out all the fun and interest of HR for them to do other things. So I'm curious, as you've been going through your career working at a variety of different companies, how have you maintained, quite frankly, your sanity and, and 
when it comes to working with so many people and always dealing with so many personal issues of all the employees, how do you not hold on to all that as emotional baggage, but still have the empathy for your employees to help them through? It's like you know, going back to some things you learned along the way. Uh, my my wife had, I think she picked up this like Buddhist saying. It's like you know, understand what you can control, and worrying about things that you can't control creates suffering. So uh, it's like you know, once you realize that you know, hey, you know, certain things over here I can't control. What are the things I can control? And I'm sorry to hear that that some HR people have left the organization. It's you know, here, you know, coming through the pan, you know, coming through the pandemic, and say, boy, you know what? I actually weigh a little less than when I went into the pandemic uh, because I took time out to exercise every day. How do you get people to recognize that work is part of life? Life is not part of work. And you know, I'm trying to again goes back to the listening, saying, okay, well, what what can we do to best manage this situation? That we've got tasks that needed to be done. What's the most efficient way to do the task rather than here I've got all these guidelines you know, put in place and you can't go over this and you have to be in at this hour and you have to leave at that hour. No, 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 no. You know, get, you know, our customers have a delivery schedule. How do I get that delivery to them? So try not to over-focus. And, and sometimes I tell people, I say, know when to say no. Uh, I'll get you know, people saying, oh, you know, you talk about being stressed. Why? Oh, I've got all these reports. Well, go to people and say, look, you're giving me all these reports to do. There's 14 of them. I also have seven assignments. You know, I, sorry, I'm, I'm not able to get to them. So let's prioritize what you're going to get. And that way you can lower the, lower the stress level. You know, and some people tell me about, you know, that they're working these hours. They start at eight and then they don't end until 10 at night. Says, yeah, there, there's something wrong here. Because organizations need to treat people with dignity and respect. And there actually comes a time when if you're working somebody so many hours, they're actually going to have a negative impact on productivity and they're going to start to make mistakes. And that's not going to help you. And if you put your organization too thin, it's like, okay, you know, if you take a group from, let's say, you know, three to two, you lay somebody off, and then you try to dump a lot of work on the remaining two people. And then the remaining two people, you know, can't get it done. What are you going to do? You know, fire one of the other two people? You know, then you say, okay, so you fired them. Uh, well, now you have to go ahead and try to recruit a replacement. And the replacement, if they're any good, they're going to say, well, why should I come and work for you? And why should I take this job? And if you don't have a good answer, you won't get good people. That's pretty interesting and powerful. I want to switch gears a little bit. Since you've worked at different companies throughout your career, as HR leaders are thinking about moving up in their career, taking on bigger roles, more responsibility, I know one of the first things a lot of HR leaders will do will try to get different SHRM certifications. Some may go back to school to get their master's. Others may try to take on just more responsibility in the company to show that they should be able to get promoted or move to a different role. But I'm curious from your experience, what are some of the things that you found are mission critical in regards to preparing yourself for the next HR role and HR opportunity? So in one company I worked at that was really people-focused, uh, one of the first questions they would ask you is, who on your team have you prepared for and gotten promoted? Not about me. 
So you need to be taking the time to develop your staff so you can take things off your plate and give them to your staff, who in turn should be taking things off their plate and giving them to the next level. And the people at the next level should be deciding, well, what are things we don't need to do anymore? You know, what are things that we can automate and what are things that we can make self-service? And that way you can take on higher level stuff. Have some curiosity. Ask the organization, why does it do the things that it does? You don't have to, you know, be, you know in addition to HR, it's like, okay, well, what are bigger problems that we can solve? What are the business problems that we can solve through, through a people strategy? And, you know, first maybe you're solving, you know, problems in a location and then maybe you're solving problems in, in multi-location. Uh, be able to relate to a greater diverse workforce. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, let's say, you know, you know, besides, you know, let's say gender or race, it's also in terms of, you know, what is it that, you know, people do? You know, can you speak to both uh, call center employees, production employees, scientists, uh, sales leaders, marketing geniuses? You know, can you relate to a variety of people? Uh, the cert, you know, as far as the certifications, I have the certifications. I'm actually something called Lifetime SHRM certified. Uh, what is it? Lifetime uh, Senior Professional in HR certified. And they used to have this thing where you would take a test uh, every three years, and if you pass the test, you know, three times, you got lifetime certification. I says I like this. I didn't have to buy. I didn't have to do the test anymore. They don't do that because uh, they realize that if you get lifetime certified every three years, you're not sending them whatever it is, $125 to get recertified. Uh, the certifications are nice. I think it's important to be well-read, like, you know, read the Wall Street Journal every day, you know, so you understand, like, what's going on in business, see what solutions they might have or what might, you know, percolate your interest, and then say, okay, well, what might be something, you know, really totally different that I'm going to need, that I want to respond to, to you know, help my, get my workforce to be more productive. And getting the workforce more productive is a combination of increasing their skills, increasing their authority, and ensuring that they've got a decent work-life balance, because if they don't, they'll be worrying about things at home while they're at work, and that will negatively impact productivity. Got it. You mentioned the Wall Street Journal, and I'm assuming that by understanding more about business, you become a more strategic HR leader, right? That plays into it. And also you get to become a thought leader. You say, ah, here's something cool that's going on in another organization. How can I adopt it here? That makes a lot of sense. And so in that vein, too many companies will use the term call center when they describe HR. And as HR is going through this most recent transformation of people operations, getting rid of the dirty word resources, changing it to people operations because it should be a strategic operational function, just like marketing ops, sales ops, product ops, et cetera. How have you seen either yourself or others really make HR uh, become strategic and perceived as strategic versus this cost center as so many companies will look at HR? Well, uh, that, that's a combination. That's like what the you know HR people in that entity do. Uh, in some cases, you're changing perception. So when I we do a strategic business plan, there's also a strategic HR plan. Here are the things that we want to do over over the course of let's say the medium term over the next three years. And I try to link HR processes with business processes. So, uh, Bruce, have you 
Have you ever had to set goals in one of your jobs? Yep, of course. How's that goal setting? How did that goal setting process work? (laughs) It all all depends on when you caught me, when I was setting the goals. (laughs) Like like in our business, so like there's something called like an annual budgeting. Okay, we're doing this annual, you know, we go ahead and we do an annual budgeting process. So our fiscal year right now starts April 1st. Budgeting starts in November and they get into high gear by January. And in the past, they wait for the new fiscal year to start setting goals. Why you wait till you know April to set goals for the fiscal year? I noticed by the time you got done setting, you know, the goals, you know, it was already like you know half past May or a quarter to June. You know, already they're saying, look, you know, two months of the fiscal year already over. So when you're actually doing your business planning and budget planning, that's when you should be setting goals. And the business is saying, here's what we want to do. I'm saying, okay, well, who should do what and when should they do it? So that's taking a HR, what you could call like an HR process, you know, out of the HR realm and make it part of the business process. You know, here's who's going to do what. You know, as far as the team name, you know, if you've got marketing operations, then you can have HR operations. Um, You know, everybody, I'm not, they call HR a cost center. Okay, well, you know, if everybody else is a cost center, then, you know, we're a cost center too. I don't get caught up in that name. I think we get a budget. So we get the company or the organization allocates money to us to do a variety of things. And when you're sitting there saying, well, I want a new HR system or I want this type of money for recruiting, you know, you're also competing for those dollars with, let's say, uh, a manufacturing plant that says, I want money to buy a new machine or a marketing group that says, I want some money to buy some better digital advertising uh, or a sales group that's saying, you know, now that the pandemic's lifting, you know, we need money for airline tickets. You know, why should we give it to you to manage? And you have to be able to say, well, you know, here's why. And sometimes you're going to say, you know, no, it's okay. You know, I really think we need to replace that machine. So I'm willing to, you know, put off, you know, a particular expenditure in HR because we do need to fix that machine. You bring up a good point around showing ROI for any type of budget request in HR. A lot of people will talk about how difficult it is for a lot of HR teams to actually get budget for anything and how much of a business case you need to make for it because it's not revenue generating. And so I'm curious throughout your career, how have you gone about making a business case for the different HR efforts and initiatives that you've wanted to put in place? And just as a general rule, how do you think HR should position these budget requests knowing that they're not revenue generating? This is, uh, there's a lot of things that organizations do that are not revenue generating. It's like, tell you what, let's not heat the building. Save money, right? I mean, yeah, we won't plow the, parking, par- plow the parking lot. You know, you have to say, here is the service or here is the solution that this initiative will provide to us. And here's the benefit. It's like you know, when you when you put forward a request, you know, give people some background, maybe like three bullet points of background. And then you say, here's my recommendation. And then let's say here are three rationales that ad- address that background. So what is it that you're trying to do? I don't know. So you want to, you know, typically for us, it's going to be, yeah, how do I get my workforce more productive? How do I get people into the organization who can learn and grow with it? Um, and that also includes, you know, attracting and retaining the talent that you need and in some case getting rid of talent that, that you don't need. Uh, you have to be able to explain to somebody who's not in HR how this is going to make 
you know, their life better. And then last question, Bernard, in regards to the HR role in general, now that you're leaving the industry and you're leaving the industry to all the people who are still in it and still looking to make it a great role to have and a great industry to be a part of, what are, you, what are your hopes for the HR role moving forward, especially now since it seems as though COVID has really redefined the role? Or you can even talk about if you even believe that's true. Uh, yes, I think so. The pandemic is receding. It's like here we are, instead of it being like, you know, 2021, it's like, you know, in 2020, you know, the influenza uh, epidemic eventually receded. And this virus behaved a lot like a lot of other viruses. I'm sorry, you know, people died. But if you go through human history or through any species, viruses come in, they attack vulnerable in the population, and eventually they they die themselves out. So through this opportunity or through this crisis, you know, we've learned some things. So we, you know, there were companies who said, oh, you can never work from home. Surprise. You know, people can get a lot of stuff done from home. And then they miss. You, know, you still need collaboration. You have to be, you know, how we communicate with one another. In addition, like right now we're on a podcast, it's audio. A lot of it is through facial gestures, making eye contact, being able to read people. So you still need, I believe, time where you can have that in-person relationship. I know there are some jobs where you can't. Like, for example, we're going to one day have a, uh, we're going to send people to Mars. Well, guess what? It's going to be all distance learning, you know, for that. So you, you have that. When you can bring people together so they can look at one another and collaborate, that has to stay. Give people a flexibility to, to deal with, let's say, life's, can, life's exigencies along the way. And then from where you want to do we need to take time to experiment and try new things, but don't be just keep trying. You know, people need some time to actually settle, whether it's like, you know, try something, freeze, unfreeze, try again and try to have fun, have some work life balance, you know, show concern for your individuals. It's like, you know, personally for me, I, I, you know, I wish companies provided food. Say, so why, why should companies provide food? Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, they don't eat right. Now, I work on the, I've been purchasing, health and welfare plans since the early 2000s. And if your workforce is not healthy, guess what? Your cost of the health and welfare plans go up. So also, you know, show some interest in them as as human beings and recognize that unlike a machine, you know, a, a person can improve efficiency, learn new things along the way. And I say, I say to people, uh, think of individuals as not people, but machines. They say, oh, Bernard, why think of the machines? He says, look, if you had a machine, let's say you have a, an employee that costs you $100,000 a year, and you're going to have that employee for 10 years or even five years, it's a half million dollar investment. So if you bought a machine for a half million dollars, boy, you'd follow the maintenance schedule. You'd make sure you're you know, changing parts out that it needs. You know, invest in people along the way, the way you would invest in your equipment. Nard, I can't tell you how much I truly appreciate you taking time to be on our podcast days away from retirement, still giving back to the community, to the HR industry, and sharing all the gems of wisdom and knowledge that you've picked up along the way. So thank you so much for doing that. We really appreciate you. And thanks for also being on. Thanks for allowing us to be your very first podcast as well. That's super humbling. So thanks a lot, Bernard. Thank you very much. And so I want to ask, where can people find your company? Unless you want to share, because I know you're about to leave. But where can, at least where can people find you online 
so while I'm, you're uh, hanging out in retirement. So I, I'm still going to be on LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn profile. Uh, where else? Where am I going to be hanging out? So I'll probably be in Florida at the beach, or I might be like in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park hiking, or I'll be along the Delaware River riding my bicycle. So uh, those are those will be my next passions. So water sports, hiking, and biking. Also gardening, cooking, and baking. Nice. So if you can't find Bernard on LinkedIn, then maybe you'll find him and connect with him biking, cooking, beaching, <laughs> uh, <laughs> gardening, all the things, all the things. And we'll be sure to include your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So for everyone out there listening, if you enjoyed this episode as much as Bernard and I did making it, then please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and also leave us a comment. Let us know what you learned the most from this or what you thought was really interesting because that always helps us really talk about the things that you care about. Also, if this is your very first time listening to this podcast and you either came here because you thought the topic was super interesting or you're already a huge fan of Bernard and you just had to hear what he was going to say, but now you're hungry for more episodes, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.